0: So again, this is Luke 9, verse 57 and 58 now. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Verse 59 of Luke chapter 9. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another said to him, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So in verse 57, And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. It's interesting that that, um, that there's a, actually another portion in Matthew chapter 8, this is the complementary portion, says that this person who says this, so if we look, if we look in, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 19, it says, Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the, the air have, have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's Matthew 8, verse 19 and 20. But when we look back at Luke, Luke doesn't, in fact, tell us exactly who this person is, but Matthew does tell us that this is actually a scribe. So a scribe was one of the ones who would just write lots of copies of, of the Bible. So they didn't have printing presses, and they were, they were actually also lawyers, and they knew the word very well. And they did, they had a comfortable living. They were, they were, um, you know, they weren't wealthy people, but it, it's sort of like the, the professors of our day. I mean, they, they can certainly survive. And, and uh, so it says, someone, that is a scribe, came to him and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. So the intention is very good here. I mean, this is a good thing to say. I'll follow you wherever you go. And I hear this from students sometimes. They hear a message and they're pumped. Yeah, I'm going to do this. Oh, that sounds so exciting. And then I just never see them again. And, and, and so I see this. And sometimes it, it takes, takes a couple of years sometimes for students to settle in and start committing to do what they said that they're going to do. But the sooner that you do that, the better. But in Luke chapter 9, when he says, he says I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus backs him up a little bit. He says, you know, you're excited because you say you're going to follow me wherever I go. Let me tell you a little bit about my life. And it's this. Jesus said, The foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. So this is what He says. He says, You sure you want to follow Me? You know, I don't have a home to go to. I don't have a a settled place to go to. Anywhere I sleep, either it's under the stars or I'm a guest in a home and that's it. That's all I have. You have a comfortable lifestyle. Are you sure that you want to follow me? Think about this decision. And I think about people who make decisions to go off to the mission field. You know, when, when Trisha was, was on, on the mission field in Sudan, she was from this class a number of years ago and she went off to the mission field and she found her husband on the mission field and... She had her, her, her uh, first two children there on the mission field. And now she's back having her third child. But uh, I remember she would send pictures from their, their little home in Sudan. And as I looked at this home, in the pictures, I mean, there were electrical wires hanging down and, on the wall. And I emailed her back and said, Tricia, the electrical wires, you have little children. You have to secure those. And and her husband's an electrical engineer from Stanford. He got his degree. He he figured he'd know this. And she said whenever she would get emails about from me, she would chuckle because they had come to a point where they didn't even think about all these hazards. But, uh, you you know, you could just at least watch these electrical wires that are hanging down, lots of exposed wires, things like this. And then seeing how she would proudly show their little apartment. And there were stains all over the walls and the... You know, there's a mattress on the floor. is their bed. Jesus said, think about this. But the joy that comes in service far supersedes all of those things. And then I look around at, at many other people, and in fact, many of them Christians, that live in really fine homes here in Houston, but there's no peace in the home. You know, they're wondering what they're doing, and they're wondering, and, and just all this chaos going on, and Jesus said, "I want you to think about this. You've got this comfortable home, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head." Let me give you a little story around that. When I, so I, I finished my PhD, I did two years of postdoc work, and then we were we were moving. I, I got my first position at the University of South Carolina, and I taught there for 11 years. And when we first moved to South Carolina, they brought us out they, they, on, on a house hunting trip, and. And we went looking for a home, and and we we put an offer on the home, and then the the offer fell through because the inspector found something wrong with the home, and we didn't have a backup, and we had already gone back to California. And and so this home that that I had been all set to to just move from California from this postdoc, they were going to move me to to South Carolina and move into this home, that fell through, and I got in this little hissy fit. I thought, you know, what is this? I've, I've worked all these years. I was 28 years old. Gotten a PhD. I deserved a house now. What do you mean I deserve a house? <clears throat> just because I'm twenty-eight, just because I had a PhD, I deserved a house. Jesus said, Look, I have nowhere to lay in my head. Jesus never promises you a house. He never promises us a house. <clears throat> what the scriptures promise believers is it promises us food and clothing, and that's it. <clears throat> food and clothing. Jesus said He has no place to lay His head. The Scriptures promise us only food and clothing, and with that you should be content, Paul said. <clears throat> so if you have a home, that's an extra blessing, let alone a house. And, and as I started to think about this, I thought, what is wrong with my life? What, what have I come to that I should have this little hissy fit that I put an offer on a house and it falls through because it's, it's not properly... You know, there was something wrong with the foundation. And so we moved into an apartment for a year, and it was really the best thing, because we could get to know the entire town before we settled in on a community, and we ended up getting a home right near the church where we were, which was something that was very good for us. So, we get this view in our minds sometimes, like, you know, I deserve a house. This is where I was. Then I come to know, no, I don't deserve a house. If I have a house, that's extra special. We put paint on our walls in our home as often as most people um, sweep the floor in their homes. We just paint our walls so much because we have so much traffic of people going through our home. People have said to me, you know, don't you mind you know, all this, you, you know, all this stuff happens to your home? I say, no, God has brought me to a point, this is what the house is for. It's going to get messed up. And this is why we have people to fix it. And this is why God created painters. <laughs> so that we can keep them in business. Painting, painting the walls. And, and mopping the floor. And if the floor gets messed up, well, we'll mop it. And if crumbs on the floor, we'll clean it. God wants to change our perspective. You know, you get a new car, you want the car to keep really nice. But you know, sometimes you take people and their feet are muddy and they come in the car. You do it. This is what you do. Because what we have is not our own. This is to serve God. And if you try to hold on to the things that you have and make yourself very comfortable, you'll actually not be that happy. You will be far happier if you take what you have and just release it to the Lord. Remember this uh, This one day I was a, a graduate student and, and we were meeting in a church and the church didn't have any air conditioning it got really hot that summer and they asked people to bring in fans. And I was just... A graduate student, and, and we had gotten a really nice fan for, for our wedding. It was one of our wedding gifts. And so we brought the fan in, and uh, um, something happened in, in the church, and the fan fell off a, an elevated stage and broke. And it was a brand new fan. It was the only fan that we had. And, and I just remember this tremendous release. This is an offering to the Lord. The Lord will take care of this. And, uh, uh, and I really felt that way. And it was just the beginning of many things in our home and of our belongings that we're going to break because of ministry. But this is something that we became used to. You pour yourself out. Jesus said, you want to follow me? Listen to what my life is going to be like. You'll not have a place to lay your head. So you might not have the best apartment. You might not have the best place. But this is part of the cost in following Jesus. He goes on. So if you look in in verse... verse, Luke chapter 9, verse 59. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. So look at what Jesus says to this man. He turns to another man and he says, Follow me. Follow me. You know, this is the same thing that he said to all the disciples. Remember the call to the disciples? He said, follow me. Follow me, he said to Luke. Uh, I'm sorry, not to Luke. Luke wasn't one of the twelve. He said to Matthew, the tax gatherer. Remember he was collecting taxes. He says, follow me. Remember he said on the beach, he said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. This man had a tremendous opportunity. I mean, how many people get to follow Jesus? Jesus said to this man, follow me. And the man says, uh, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now, when you understand the Jewish tradition, you understand that this man's father was not dead. The Jewish tradition was that the oldest son had to remain at home until the father was dead and buried, and one year after the father was dead and buried, he would take of the Kiddush cup, the final cup, and say, it is over. And then and only then was he free to leave. So there was a tradition, it was not an obligation in Scripture, there was a tradition among them that the oldest son would be there. And that's not a bad thing. Remember, it was Jesus, who was the Word of God, And the Word of God says, honor your father and your mother in the Ten Commandments. The first commandment with a promise. He says, honor your father and your mother and it will go well for you on the earth. And that is then underscored again in the New Testament. Honor your father and your mother. So Jesus is not against honoring your parents. But He says, that honor should not get in the way of our following Him. So He said to the man, He said, you follow Me. Says, let the kingdom of God, uh, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. He's sending this man on foreign missions. He said, follow me, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I mean, this is tremendous. He says, you go and follow, you, and you follow me, and you you proclaim the kingdom of God. Family will sometimes get in the way. Of our following Jesus. I'll give you an example. I come from a Jewish family. My family was not really excited when I started following Jesus. They didn't go, oh yes, glory. No, they they don't do that. It's not what they said. They said something very different. But there was a call to follow Jesus. It was uncomfortable for them. It was uncomfortable for me to have to share it with them. And it was uncomfortable for years. And I was praying for them and praying for them and sharing with them. <clears throat> and my mother, 20 years later, came to know the Lord. My father still hasn't come to know the Lord. Neither has my brother nor my sister. But we've had many, many conversations. I've come to the point, I don't know what else to say to my father. <clears throat> I, just, I sat him down and read him the entire Gospel according to John. I mean, it is. You know, how much more can I do? I've talked with them and talked with them and I continue to pray. But if I did everything my mother and father wanted me to do, I never would have followed Jesus. I certainly would not have proclaimed it. And then when I made the decision to follow Jesus, my father said, well, just, You don't have to be so vocal about it. Just, just tone it down. But what about honoring my mother and my father? Jesus said, Let the dead bury their own dead and follow me. There is a call on people's lives that calls us beyond something within ourselves, calls us to something greater. And he said, you can't become entangled with these things of the world. Paul spoke about this. He says, you know, a soldier can't become entangled with the things of the world. He said, you can't become entangled with these things. Yes, you can honor your parents, but it is not to inhibit you. But the biggest hindrance to Christian missions is not Satan... It's parents. Because parents don't want their kids to go any place that's too far away. You you can be a Christian, but live in the same neighborhood as I live so that I can take care of the grandchildren. It is pure and utter selfishness that I want my children to live near me so that I can enjoy my grandchildren. That would be nice. But I don't have that option because they're not mine. They're the Lord's. Parents are the biggest hindrance to Christian missions. Christian parents are. And I'm telling you this because most of you are not parents. I am telling you this because one day you will be. And remember this. So that through the time period that my children were young, and I continue to pray this so that their picture is on the wall, and I go after I get done studying in my own devotional time, I go to their pictures and I say, Lord, you promised me that if I loved your word, it says in Psalm 112, verse 1 and 2, that if I honored your word, you would make them great on this earth. Do that. And may I never stand in the way of your taking them wherever you want to take them. Send them wherever you want to send them. Lord, send them. Let me never stand in the way of this. Because I know the tendency of parents. We want to just hold on to our children and somehow protect them. You can't protect your children anyway. I mean, there are home invasions in Houston. There are car accidents in Houston. You can't can't protect your children anyway. This best place to be is where the Lord has you. And I can't guarantee that your children are going to be totally safe on the mission field. No, they may die on the mission field, but what better way to die? What better way to die than serving the Lord? What, do you want to die old and shriveled up in a hospital and uh, drooling all over? Is that how you'd like to die? Isn't it better to go out, you know, in a burst of glory, preaching the Lord and someone takes you out? Isn't that a better way to go? Not Not what? Not when you end up in your unit? You mean in... Oh, okay. You work in the emergency room. Yeah, that's... Okay, you work in the ICU. Right, right. So we we don't even want to get there. Just, Just end it right there before you even get there. There you go. You don't want to even get to the emergency room. It is not a bad thing to die for the Lord. It is really not a bad thing. Let them go. Let them go. Let the dead bury the dead. You can't let family... Stand in the way of ministry. Family doesn't want you preaching sometimes. Family doesn't want you taking such a stance. My dad has been concerned about my career. He says, don't you know this is going to hurt your career? You know, you won't get this position or that position. Oh, okay. I think I'll stop talking about Jesus. No, that's not what we're supposed to do. You must continue to speak. This is what Jesus said. Let the dead bury the dead. He's calling us to something greater. And then the third part, in verse 61, and another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You've got to release your own friends. You've got to learn to release those old friends. It is fine to be a witness, but they can't, take control over this thing anymore. Look in, in, in uh in in James chapter four. James chapter four. Now you think Jesus is pretty tough with his words? Let the dead bury their own dead? This book of James, this epistle of James was written by Jesus' brother James. I think Jesus was kind of mild compared to James. Now, James is, is uh, uh, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, but if you read in the beginning of the, of the epistle of James, he's writing to the tribes that are dispersed. All right? Outside of Jerusalem, he's writing them a letter. This is a, an early book, he's writing them a letter. So this is to Christians, this is to believers, this is to Messianic believers, people, people who believe in Jesus as the Messiah. This is what he's writing. And if you look in James chapter 4, verse 4, look at what he says. You adulteresses. Ah. Now, I've never come into this class and said, you adulteresses. But James, to those believers, that's how he addresses them. I mean, this is pretty tough. You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not think that the scripture speaks to no pur- or, or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. So, look at what he says. He says, you know, you've got to release the old friends when I started really getting excited about the Lord, I had a really good friend named Gordon. And uh, he didn't know the Lord. And he and I were pretty close friends. And I shared with him, and he knew I was a believer, And, and uh, but he kept trying to draw me back into the old stuff. And he kept reaching out to me to draw me back. And I'd say, Gordon, I can't do it anymore. I just can't go that direction anymore. You know, I had to take a stand. I can't go that direction because I found... That when I was with him, if I would go the places that he wanted to go, he was much better at drawing me away from the faith than I was at drawing him to the faith. And I could have a great conversation, the two of us in a room together. But I couldn't go the places that we used to go together. I couldn't do it anymore. James goes so far as to say, you adulteresses, you adulteresses, you can't do this. If our friendships are not drawing us closer to the Lord, we have to really question them. It is great to reach out. But just remember, there's a context for this. There's a context if it's liable to draw you astray. I mean, Jesus was, was actually very serious about these sort of things. Jesus said to... Look, look, uh, look in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. I mean, Jesus, Jesus was pretty tough. James was his brother. Look at what he says. If anyone comes to me in Luke fourteen twenty six, if anyone comes to me and he does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I mean, Jesus, couldn't you have just toned it down a little bit? You know, there's a a better way to share. Let me me tell you about how to share so you, you don't offend people. Jesus said, you know, in relation to what I'm calling you to, you're going to have to hate your own family. Let me give you an example of this. I have seen people get married. And they get married and they think, okay, now we really need to build our marriage. We're going to take a year out from christian service because they'll take a verse in the old testament that says when a man married he was not to go to war for one year didn't say he wasn't to do any service he was not to go to war that was to guarantee that that he could raise up that he could bear an off an offspring could could come forth that's what that year was for and then he was to go off to war When Christians come together in marriage and think they're going to take a year off from Christian service so they can just focus in on their marriage, their marriage ends up not doing well and they become totally unproductive and it sets their marriage off in a very bad framework. I've seen people have children and it's almost impossible for them to come to church because they have one child. And I guarantee you, when you have a child, they don't have to stay home six months before you can bring them to church couple weeks and they are ready. Even a week and they are ready. We brought them in after a week and none of my children have died. Alright? We brought them in after a week. And you think, oh, there's people breathing. Okay, so there's people breathing. They're not going to die. And just, you, you, you know, you get them all dressed up really nice. You're just carrying them out of the house to go to church. And invariably, they will spit up and it will run right down your back. And young couples will say, "Oh, forget it. I tried to go to church and I just can't. Well, it's easy. You just get a diaper rag, you wipe it off, and you go to church. You smell like, like child vomit all the time. You just get used to it. This is part of life when you have a child. Don't let that keep you from serving in the body of Christ. You have to serve in the body of Christ. And you bring your family along with you. This is Christian service. Bring your family along with you. This is what Jesus is calling us to. Something greater. Something greater is the cost of discipleship. These things should not keep you out. When we had a sick child with a fever that we couldn't bring into the nursery, all of us except that child and either Shireen or myself would not go to church. One of us would stay home with the sick child. The rest of us went. You don't all all have to stay home and nurse a, a sick child. Do you all stay home from work and school because of one sick child? No. One person stays home to take care of the sick child and the other people go to work and to go to school. Same in service to the body of Christ. Remember what I'm telling you. When you have children, you will have opposition. We used to live in Wisconsin. We'd get our daughter all bundled up, ready to go out for church. She was two years old, all bundled up and, and just blistering cold out. As we're walking out the door, she says, I have to go to the bathroom. (laughs) So what do you do? You just peel it off as quickly as you could. You take it to the bathroom and then you put it back on and you go to church. This is what life is. This is what life is about. Christian service is never easy. Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. Christian service was never meant to be easy. It is a high call that he has for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. And I pray, Lord, that You would take these young people and so draw them into a place of Christian service. That they would be pulled beyond their place of comfort. Father, for some You have the ministry of preaching the Word. For others You have the ministry of helps. For others You have the ministry of discipleship. Father, I pray that You would be working in the hearts of these young people to cause them to to do things that are beyond themselves. Some You're calling into Christian missions. Some You're calling into full-time pastorate. And Father, they're going to have to give up salaries. They're going to have to give up uh, easier positions to go and serve You. But Father, let it be. Let it be. Father, I pray that these young people would take hold, that they wouldn't become distracted because of family, because of marriages, or because of comforts, that they wouldn't become distracted from Christian service. Father, draw them to You, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.